Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're off and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. Joining me in just a minute will be my co-hosts and friends, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. We also have another interview with Eric Winalda, which you can hear at the end uh, of the episode. And today we will look at uh, the FA Cup, some Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, and League 1. And then next week, we'll be we'll be off on Sunday night, and then next week, get back into the Premier League. And before I bring in my co-hosts, a reminder that this episode and every episode of Wonder Goal is presented to you by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, and you can get 200 free FA Cup fourth round. Uh, clear headliner here. It's a it, it's This seems to keep happening. With Man City, whatever team they're in the title race with, they end up playing either in the FA Cup or uh, Carabao Cup. This time it's Arsenal. This time it's at the Etihad. This time City minus one thirty-eight at Bet three six five. Arsenal plus three thirty-three on the three-way line. The draw is plus three twenty. BJ price on Arsenal looks pretty tempting here. Absolutely, I I actually do like Arsenal. I'll be betting them plus half a goal at plus one fifteen. You know. This is a for fans of of tactics. This is an incredibly interesting match, just because of what is Arsenal going to do in this one? Because Arsenal has gotten very, very used to holding a lot of possession. You saw it against Manchester United, absolutely throttled them. Had the most touches in the penalty area in the Premier League since City against Leeds Academy when they won seven nothing last winter. Um, but Arsenal really hasn't faced a team that's going to control this much possession against them. And my question to Arsenal is, is are they going to be able to sit deep in that low block and be able to keep city out and not let them play through the middle? Because Pep right now is adamant that he wants city to play through the middle. He's and what's funny is that he brought on 18 year old Rico Lewis, just like kind of out of nowhere. And he's become like their best ball progressor on the team with Rodri dropping back into a back three. And Really what he's trying to do is he's saying, I really just want to play through the middle of the pitch because that's the best way to beat a team. It pulls them out of position. If you play out wide, then they can keep their structure, and it's very difficult to break down teams like Arsenal, who is one of the best defenses in the Premier League. I go back to the match on January 1st of last year when Arsenal lost 2-1 to City, where they did sit deep and they countered them very effectively for the first half. City got a fluke penalty, and Gabriel got sent off with two yellow cards back-to-back. And then the match kind of got out of hand after that. If Arsenal could put together that same type of game plan, which they're playing much, much better now. They have better players. Obviously, Zinchenko's become, you know, he was man of the match against United for a reason. His ability to progress the ball with the pitch and also defend. I think the price here is pretty good on Arsenal. You know, if you look at Arsenal and City's performances against the big six, Arsenal's actually been better. Like City's played five times against the big six, 9.3 expected goals for 6.3 against. Arsenal's played six matches against the big six. 13.4 expectacles for 6.5 against. So I only have City projected at minus 102. So I think there actually is some value here on Arsenal at plus 114. Yeah, I probably play the the money line here on Arsenal. I think three to one in in this situation. It's it's a weird one because of the title race and City's form. Obviously, has not been stalwart uh, since the World Cup. So I think the the money line here is where I'd look. Anthony, anything for you here? I think the biggest question is kind of what the managers do to approach this. This is like uh, the undercard for the main event, which is coming uh, in the middle of February, right after the Super Bowl, the Wednesday after, in the middle of the Champions League. Arsenal will play City for the first time of two meetings in the league. So how do these managers approach this cup match? Because I think the, the fear is that if Arteta chooses to rotate and City chooses to rotate, 
Arteta doesn't have the depth that City does. Like they have more of a drop off from their best wingers, their best midfielders than City does, where City kind of has, uh, you know, more depth. Like if they don't play Holland, they have Alvarez. If City, if, if Arsenal rests Saka, like who's the next guy up? I don't love that. Like Inketia will probably play because there's nobody else. Like the midfield depth is a little bit lacking too. So I think there's more question marks about depth if you get a rotated team. And I think there's a risk of that. So I haven't bet anything here yet. I'm going to kind of wait, read the tea leaves on Thursday, see what we get with, you know, if any manager gives something away as to whether they may rotate or not uh, and see if lineups kind of get in, in the mood here. But I would, I would look to play Arsenal. I think that they uh, are a little bit undervalued here. I agree with BJ. I have downgraded city considerably. I know they just pasted uh, Spurs in the second half and then had a pretty easy win against Wolves. But again, the shots weren't there. I mean, the first 40 minutes against Wolves, they did nothing. Uh, And this team just looks like it's lacking juice. And so I think that you could see them struggle uh, with Arsenal's uh, successful ability without the ball. The other FA Cup kind of headliner here for the fourth round is... (laughs) Man, Liverpool's got to be sick. Liverpool's got to be sick of seeing Brighton. Uh, Brighton's at home, and they're plus 170. Slight dog on the three-way line. Liverpool plus 145. The draw is plus 270. I think, uh, you know, if you're a listener to the show of any veteran status, like you've listened to more than three episodes of Wonder Goal, you'll know where this is going. I I think Brighton any way you want is the way to go here. Uh, This Liverpool team is in flux they've just not been very good and brighton seems to have their number and deserby really took it to them uh the last time they played so whether it's a brighton money line bj you have a different bet um that you like here but i I think any way you want to back brighton to have a a good performance is is worth a a sprinkle here yeah i mean i like brighton's team total over one and a half it's still sitting at plus money at plus 105 i mean Brighton completely and utterly dismantled Liverpool the last time they played. I mean, they were able to control 61% possession. They outtouched Liverpool in the penalty area 36 to 15, and then they beat them on XG 1.9 to 1. But the biggest stat of all in all of this is Brighton had an 89.9% buildup completion percentage, and Liverpool's passive per defensive action was 13.2. That is significantly more than Liverpool is allowing to every other opponent so far this season. They're actually the number one team in the Premier League in build-up uh, completion percentage allowed. But Brighton was able to play right through the middle of the pitch and get the ball out wide where there was acres of space because what Klopp was trying to do is he was so worried about Brighton playing through the middle of the pitch. He even brought Thiago all the way up to press the opposing center backs, but everybody was staying so compact in the middle that if the ball got to the middle, it was just going immediately out wide, and then Matoma and March had acres and acres of space to work in. And of course, you're going up against Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, who are not the best defenders in space. I mean, what's going to change this time around? Van Dyke's still out, which we've talked about many times, is maybe not the worst thing in the world. But Liverpool defensively just does not have the midfield or the defenders right now and out wide to hang with this Brighton team. I mean, under Deserby, Brighton's now what? twenty Now is 26 goals off 22.6 expected and 13 Premier League matches. They created over one and a half expected goals in both meetings with Liverpool this season. So if you're giving me a Brighton team total at over one and a half at plus 105, I'm going to take that 10 times out of 10. I mean, I project Brighton for 1.9 goals in this match. So yeah, that's how I love to play Brighton. I'll probably be on Brighton minus one and a half at at a decent price. So probably be on their money line as well. Uh, But this line has crashed. Like Brighton was an underdog. And now it's sitting at a pick 'em. Liverpool the first time around, you know, they're plus one hundred five road favorites. Obviously, they didn't close that though. They did not close that, but they certainly didn't close anywhere near this price, which is just showing you the respect now that Brighton is getting in the market. So I'll be on Brighton team total of four and a half, and basically any way you like it. Yeah, two weeks ago uh, we had this exact game in the league. You mentioned it, talked about it. Uh, I said that I made this close to a toss up. I actually make Brighton a favorite now. At home. I do too, by the way. Uh, yeah. And so like, and I've upgraded both. I've upgraded Brighton since and, and Liverpool had another shaky showing at home against Chelsea where they underperformed expectations. Uh, they are now worse. Um, I still have them slightly better than Brighton, but once you include home field, just in a straight match, I would make Brighton a favorite. And now you also have a situation where Jurgen Klopp has traditionally not been a cups guy. I know last year when they were chasing the quadruple, they were playing not very rotated teams, but if you go back and you look at what Klopp has said about these cups over the years with Champions League coming up in a couple weeks, 
with their league position in serious danger, uh, you could see a pretty rotated Liverpool here. The problem is they can't even really rotate that much because they have so many injuries. But again, like there's a much higher risk of the big six road team here going to Brighton and rotating than there is uh, Brighton, who will see this as a really big opportunity to have a, a successful you know, cup run this season. Uh, I make Brighton a favorite. I bet Brighton as a dog. I would bet them up until they're favored. Uh, and so I like the Seagulls once again. Uh, it feels like we're getting to the maybe the apex of the market on Deserby, and that's very sad, but we're not there yet, especially in these spots against Liverpool. But I'm, I, I think their weekend, next weekend, they're, they're like minus 300 against Bournemouth, which um, we will see about that. I've got to think about that some more. <laughs> yeah. might, might, might be betting Bournemouth <laughs> plus one, one and like three quarters, one and a half. Uh, but uh, before we look at that, we've got a, some business to attend to on this episode, Anthony, including the Bundesliga. Let's just quickly look at the table. Bayern Munich uh, there at the top. But it is a race. Uh, Munich's on 36 points. Union Berlin, 33. Leipzig at 32. Frankfurt, Dortmund, Freiburg, all at 31. And Wolfsburg at 29 points. Uh, we'll start with Leverkusen and Dortmund. We had a very interesting conversation with Eric Winalda at the end of this uh, podcast that you can listen to about Gio Reyna. Uh, but in terms of their match this weekend, Leverkusen, a plus 145 home underdog against Dortmund, plus 170. The draw here is plus 250. BJ, you've got something to say about this one? Yeah, I do like Dortmund in this matchup. I think it's it sets up pretty well for them. So they obviously coming off a, a late winner today against Mainz. And Leverkusen, I mean, let's be honest, they had a dreadful start to the season. They fired they fired Gerardo Seon, and then they bring in Xabi Alonso, who's been in charge for nine matches in the Bundesliga. And they've been okay. Like, plus 3.1 non-penalty XG differential is, is pretty good. They're on a five-match win streak, but... During that win streak, they have not faced the stiffest of competition. It's been Union Berlin, Cologne, Stuttgart, Gladbach, and Bochum. And the toughest opponent they've played under Xabi Alonso has been Leipzig, who pumped them horribly. They beat them 2-0. Leverkusen's only able to muster five shots, 12 penalty box touches, and 0.1 XG. And, and the Leverkusen offense is basically just built off converting and getting high quality chances because they're 11th in shots per 90, but fifth in big scoring chances. And the Dortmund defense, as we mentioned many times, has been much improved this season. And one of those big improvements is limiting those big scoring chances because they are top five in the Bundesliga. They're also top five in passes allowed in the penalty area, while Leverkusen is also in the bottom seven in box entries. And the biggest weakness for Dortmund, and you saw it today because it's defending set pieces. They conceded a, a corner against Mines. They're 16th in the Bundesliga in XG allowed per set piece. Well, Leverkusen's only 10th in, in, in the Bundesliga in terms of converting those, those set-piece chances. And the Dortmund offense is has just been on fire. I mean, they're second in the Bundesliga in expected goals. Like, last six matches, they've created 14 big scoring chances. And the big thing for them as well, when we talk about set-pieces, they're top four in terms of XG per set-piece. They Obviously, uh, their game-winning goal came off a corner against Mainz. Leverkusen's 15th in the uh, Bundesliga and defending set pieces. So this is a, I think it's a good spot here for Dortmund. I don't think they should be underdogs on the road. I actually project them at plus 129. So I like them draw no bet uh, at minus 105. Bayern Munich minus 300 against Frankfurt uh, plus 650 on the road. The draw is five to one. Anthony, uh, you have some thoughts here on this game. You think that Bayern should paste uh, one of the teams chasing them in the title race. Uh, but you also have some, I guess, bigger picture bets uh, on the Bundesliga that you want to at least explore. So let's start with the game and then you can kind of lead that into uh, what you think could be worth a, a play here as, as we head down the stretch run. It doesn't look like our minds top four bet is going to cash by the way. No, no, I wish, I wish minds was running like Union this year where all their shots went in. Imagine that like, just like a paper tiger. Uh, Union is an unserious threat. The markets know that they're sitting in second, whatever, but uh, first, I'll talk about the match. Then we can have more, maybe more of a conversation about Leipzig. Uh, Bayern has looked really flat. First two matches coming out of the World Cup break, uh, they created you know one and a half expected goals against at home against Köln, really poor, uh, and they created less, you know, right around one expected goal against Leipzig uh, and uh, at Leipzig, and really didn't have much attacking punch. I think that there is a danger in overreacting to to a couple of games. 
in the short term here. This is a home hammer spot for me for Bayern. Uh, they went to Frankfurt earlier in the season and beat them, you know, on the opening day, uh, put up over four expected goals. It was a complete demolition. And I know that Mane is is out for this match. And I know that Chupamoting is probably not the best first choice striker, but this Frankfurt team, man, I know they own me. I watched both of their games against Schalke and against Freiburg. They got completely outplayed in both games. I then watched Schalke play Leipzig a few days later and Schalke looked like they didn't belong on the same pitch as Leipzig. Uh, the difference in, in controlling the game and stopping entries into the penalty area, Freiburg out shooting them by quadruple today, uh, creating over 1.6 expected goals. Freiburg completely dominating a match, a Freiburg team that isn't even really built to do that. I mean, they like to play without the ball. They like to run. They like to press. Uh, they don't like to be like a possession dominant, slow buildup team. And Frankfurt couldn't stop them from doing that today. It was a, it was a remarkably bad showing for Frankfurt. I think they are so fraudulent uh, and I am, and I am betting against them in a home hammer spot for Bayern. So I took some Bayern first half minus three quarters of a goal. I think they roll here. I don't hate a minus one and a half either. I think this is a good Bayern by low against a fraudulent Frankfurt team. But I think when we look bigger picture here, we don't know the status of Mane and when he'll be back. He is apparently back in training now. But like Bayern looks flawed. And if you go to the to the data on the season and you kind of just sort for when Marco Rosa became manager at Leipzig, Bayern is about plus 1.4 XG difference per 90. Leipzig's about plus 1.25. That's not that different. Uh, and Leipzig is only four points behind them now. They will play again at Bayern, so that has to be factored in. But, you know, if you can find 15, 20 to 1, this doesn't, I mean, Bayern doesn't look like they're really strengthening. The additions that they have made, Daily Blind, like, I don't think he fits what they want to do at all because he's limited athletically. Like, deep lying playmakers are not their problem. He's not adding much defensively. So, like, I don't know what that adds. And I don't think they're addressing their midfield issues. So, could they get caught here? I don't think it's out of the question if Leipzig continues to perform this way. And look, Leipzig's healthy. Werner's back looking good. Uh, and Kunku will be there the rest of the season. Like, this is a attack that's good enough. Question is, is the defense good enough? Probably not in the end. But, like, at 15-20-1, to 1, uh, I may be looking to take a Leipzig shot here to win this league. Kind of reminds me of uh, back in the very beginning of our still-blossoming friendship. Uh, right as the Bundesliga was going to be the first league to come back from the uh, pandemic, I was gung-ho on betting, mocking Borussia mocking Gladbach, back to Bach. They were like 70 to 1 to catch Bayern. I mean, the, the league was off for a couple months. Who who knows how these teams are going to come back from a pandemic? No crowd. Gladbach was really Gladbach good. played well. Yeah. And then the, and their first game was against Bayern. So I was like, all right, this is, you know, you, you get this game and Maybe you can charge up the the standings, and uh, I don't think Byron let up a goal for the rest of the season. They, did, they didn't lose a game. I know yeah, they, they had. Lose. I think they I had think... like six wins and a draw. Or it was seven insane. Wins. Um, yeah. It was. It was I mean, over. Gladbach was that was back when they were good. I mean, yeah, they were. It was over the top so quick. four. Then they made the Champions League. Okay, I'll stop here because I'm yeah. just reminiscing on the glory days. Um, all right, let's uh, hop, skip, and jump to uh, Syria. Ah, BJ's boy, all of our boy. Jose Mourinho uh, and Roma, they're four to one on the road against uh, league leaders, Napoli, who are odds on minus one thirty four. The draw is plus two sixty Napoli at the top of the table on 50 points. And then everybody else is at least 12 back, uh, including Roma, who's actually 13. But all of us are in agreement here. This is a meeting between the two best defenses in the Italian top flight uh, and Roma is actually slightly better. 12.4 expected goals against in 19 games. I know Syria ah, is, is you know, down, 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 but that is outrageously good. Uh, BJ, you can get us started here talking about our boy, Jose. Yeah. I mean, this is just an all time hammer spot here for Roma. I mean, two teams that play completely different styles, but the XG differential is essentially exactly the same. I mean, we're 19 matches in to Serie A. Napoli is a plus 32 actual goal differential, 
plus 20 expected goal differential. Roma's a plus nine actual goal differential, plus 19.7 expected goal differential. And Jose Mourinho is just doing a masterful job at what he does best. And it's keeping his teams very, very compact and very elite at not allowing you to play through the middle pitch. And not most importantly, making it very, very difficult for you to actually get the ball inside the penalty area. I mean, Roma's defensive stats are incredible this season. I mean, 0.67 non-penalty expected goals allowed. Nobody has created over one and a half expected goals against them. Only three teams have created over one expected goal against them. The last time they faced Napoli, they lost one nothing, but they held Napoli to just 0.9 expected goals on 13 shots, which is just the second time all season that Napoli has been held under one expected goal in Serie A. And Roma is also a very, very underrated offense. I mean, they're fourth in non-penalty expected goals around one and a half per match. They've scored 25 goals off of 32 expected. They have one of the highest XG per shots in, in Serie A. They're the number one XG uh, per set piece team. So quite simply, Michael, if these two teams have pretty much exactly the same underlying metrics, why is Napoli sitting up there at minus 150? They're just outrageously overvalued here. So I love Roma plus half a goal, plus 130. Love them four to one. Just an all-time hammer spot here for Roma. Yeah, I'm with you on the four to one. It's it's gonna be a fun one. Uh, if we had an underdog parlay, I think all three of us would be racing uh, to to make that our pick. Anthony, don't squint at me. I, I'm not racing to make the pick, but I am betting Roma here. I, I I I'm a little scared. Like Roma is extremely conservative. Like you look at expected threat, field tilt. Like they let you just get the ball into dangerous areas. Like that's the Mourinho way. And they're very good at that. But like Kvaric, Skelia and Oshman, man, like you let them just run at your penalty area the whole game in Napoli. And that's a, that's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. And uh, Roma has not been good at playing from behind. Uh, and that's, a, that's the other thing that's concerning. I know a lot of it's variance. And so I, like, I am betting Roma. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I will not, this is just a normal play for me on Roma. I, I also may play the under because I think, that this game could end up being very similar to the last meeting where, yeah, Roma had a good start. They were, you know, they closed the pick in that game at home. They had a good start, but the second half, they couldn't generate much of anything. And then Napoli has the one moment, they get the win. It was a pretty even game. Like Roma was, you know, the line was correct. I think they can replicate that, but I could, I, I just know I'm going to get sick losing this game like one nil here. Um, so I do lean toward the under as well maybe a Napoli team total under, I don't know. I'm kind of workshopping how I feel about this game, but I did already bet uh, Roma plus a half. So uh, I, I'm, I'm locked into that one. You already bet. It B, sounds like you're B, racing. B, you're racing BJ, to get there. You already yeah. raced. You already <laughs> raced. Now you're like, I, I, I don't want to go back to the window. I, yeah. I called up the, the customer service line to ask for a refund. They didn't give me one, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, 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 like I do show value on Roma here and I love Roma and I show value on them almost every week, including in the Europa league where I bet them 23 to one to win it. Just a couple of days ago, BJ and I were talking about that. Uh, 23 to 1 when the top three teams in the league right now in the Europa League, Arsenal, who will be focused on the Premier League, Barcelona and United play each other. After that, it's like Ajax, Sociedad. So I took some Roma to win Europa League because I think they have a good chance of doing that, uh, or at least better than 23 to 1. And uh, I took some Roma this weekend. Roma's been finally cashing some tickets for us. Let's hope they keep doing that. Uh, Anything else for you around uh, Italy, BJ? Yeah, I like uh, Criminese Inter over three goals at plus 115. I mean, Criminese is the worst defense in Serie A by non-penalty expected goals allowed. And the reason for that is because they press a ton and it leaves them very, very, leads to very, very open matches. Like, they have forced the fourth most high turnovers in Serie A, which is very impressive. But they're dead last in terms of progressive passes and dribbles allowed per 90. Inter is the best team in Serie A by far, playing through pressure. Uh, they're second behind Napoli in expected goals. I mean, these two teams faced off the last time. They was Inter won 3-1, 3.4 expected goals are created. Even Cremonese created over one expected goal. And they do have a path to success offensively here. It's because they're actually the number two in Serie A in crosses completed in the penalty area, while Inter is 15th at defending crosses. Cremonese also a top seven team at touches in the penalty area and passes completed in the penalty area. So not just a completely horrible offense like offense that can actually do something here so uh i i I project around three and a half goals for this match so i like the value on over three goals plus 115 uh anthony another bet for you in syria yeah i was really hoping to get a good sosuolo number against milan uh sosuolo goes to milan i i mean i looked like it was going to be a good fade milan spot but they just got hammered at lazio 
uh, on Tuesday, and now they're home, and the number came down a good bit. So I'm going to end up probably passing there at the current number. Still lean towards a swallow plus one and a quarter, uh, this Milan team. I, I still don't know what to entirely make of them, but the, the regression is coming. And unfortunately, they play Tottenham in the Champions League. So it's going to be a really tough one for me to bet. But uh, I look towards a swallow, but I do love Monza plus one at Juventus. These two teams just played in the in the Copa Italia. Uh, Monza was the better team for the first 45. Juventus did improve in the second half, and it was ultimately a deserved 2-1 winner. But again, catching that full goal for a Monza team that has really improved and actually has a positive expected goal difference now uh, in the league, and they've trended up considerably in the last couple of months, whereas Juventus, that defense has started to fall off a cliff. We talked about it, that they were not actually good. Uh, and, and, you know, it always doesn't always work this beautifully, but when you run as good as they did and you concede five to Napoli, concede one in the first half to Monza, three to Atalanta, um, the regression is coming and, and you know, the market just likes this team a little bit too much. I would make this around minus 160, 165, and you're getting up to uh, minus 200 now. So I'm going to play against Juventus here. Uh, they've got a, a tricky situation in the league now. Like, do they worry about the cup, which they have a quarterfinal match with Lazio uh, on Wednesday, or are they going to, you know, they're appealing this decision about 15 points, but like they have no real chance at the top four here. So it is a weird situation and the club's in a bit of flux here. So I like Monza plus one. On to Spain. Real Madrid minus 143 at home to Real Sociedad, uh, who are four to one. The draw here is plus 275. These are two of the three teams in the title race. Barcelona's at 44 points atop the table. Madrid, 41 points. Sociedad, 38. This is a, a podcast, well, at least you two, uh, who, who you don't think Real Madrid is is very good. Uh, you say it time and time again, and it looks like that's going to be the theme here. Uh, BJ, we can start with you. Yeah, I'll be on uh, Sociedad plus half a goal, around plus 130. Uh, I mean, here's the reality is I think Sociedad is a very, very deserving top four team and may, might actually be the third best team in Spain right now. I mean, if you look through their defensive performances as of late, uh, 16 of their last 17 matches, only they've held their opponents under one expected goal. It's incredibly impressive. And the reason for that is they are now the best pressing team by passes per defensive action in Spain. They just put up a great performance against Barcelona and Copa del Rey on Wednesday. Obviously lost one nothing, but really played well in that match. And this is another spot where... I think they can absolutely defend against this Real Madrid team. And then even though Madrid has Schumeni, like they're still vulnerable in transition. Like I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but like Madrid is conceded in pretty much every single match in La Liga, except for against really, really bad offenses. So there is definitely a world here where Sociedad can go on the road to the Bernabeu and win this. And I think that, you know, Real Madrid is just a tad overpriced here. So I do like Sociedad plus half a goal, plus 130. You know, I only project Real Madrid around minus 120. So give me Sociedad. This team this team is ab- really, really good, even even though they lost Ishak earlier this season. Yeah, Ishak's finally making a difference for Newcastle. This is interesting because um, I think I might bet against Real Madrid every match for the next month, looking at the schedule, because uh, they have Madrid in the, uh, they have Atleti in the Copa del Rey on Thursday. We'll not be fitting them there. I think the market's about right. Uh, I agree with BJ that Sociedad is a clear third in the league right now. I think we all, I, I don't know. I know we we said on the, on the preview show, four to one, top four. I have I'm one. Sitting on yeah. that. So hopefully we get that to the window. But I think uh, they have Sociedad, Valencia, then Mallorca on the island. Uh, those are all going to be fade spots potentially for Madrid. So I think that you're going to see them slip up a little bit here. But I agree. I mean, the improvements defensively, they're they're not quite at the peak of the market. Like they're getting closer to it. Like if Real was, you know, minus 110, 120, I would probably pass here. But if I can get that full goal on Sociedad, which right now you have to pay a little bit of juice for, but, you know, I'm going to wait until we get closer to game time on Sunday to see. Uh, Sociedad also got the extra day of rest. They did have to play Barca today. They were down a man the whole second half. It was a valiant effort to only lose by one. Um, But yeah, Sociedad improving only have about a half goal difference between these two teams throw in some home field. I would love the plus one on Sociedad. Again, I bet it today in the Copa del Rey and was hanging on for dear life. Anything else for you uh, in La Liga, BJ? 
Uh, of course, Michael. I have a both teams to yep. score no, like I do every single week, which has hit the last two weeks, everybody. So all the haters out there who love to bring up all these high-priced ones. We had uh, Mallorca and Celta Vigo on the island, which is just a perfect match with absolutely nothing happening. And I have another match where I think absolutely nothing is going to happen. It involves Celta Vigo again against one of our favorite teams, Atletico, Athletic Bilbao. I mean, these two teams are both top seven in expected goals allowed defensively, Bilbao. I mean, they are, I mean, we've said it many times. They're pretty much one of the best defenses, not only in Spain, but in all of Europe. They do an outstanding job of defending their penalty area. And this is one of those situations where neither team's really going to want to control out of possession. Celta Vigo, again, a team that does a fantastic job at defending their penalty area. I mean, Mallorca did score, but only created about half an expected goal at home against them. Uh, so this is just another spot where I think the market on both teams to score no is very, very low. I mean, the total is sitting at two here, um, and we're getting a both team to score no at minus 120. So that's where I'm going here. Athletic Bilbao and Celta Vigo, both teams to score no. Set the notifications and hope you don't get one until we hit 90 minutes uh, at minus 120. All right, and, and we'll, we'll sneak in some legal real quick before we head out here. Uh, we'll talk about Marseille. Plus 110, Monaco plus 240. And the draw is uh, plus 260 here. I You don't want to do it, I don't think. But yeah, do you even want to talk about it or do you want to just move on, I, BJ? I'm showing value on Marseille and I don't know why. I've run I've run the calculations over and over again. And I'm plus 110 is kind of cheap for Marseille at home, I'll be honest. Even though I hate them, uh, their underlying metrics have been pretty good. They're on a very long win streak right now they've they uh, they beat monaco just right before the world cup although it was a very very even match but man i don't know if i can do it uh but i do project marseille at minus 118 so if here's the problem is that if i do play them they're going to lose and it's going to make me hate them even more so i am probably just going to passing on this one but i mean marseille they're they're a plus 23 goal differential and they're sitting at plus 10 expected goal differential. They are in the same realm as Lazio where at some point in the future, these two teams are going to stop running ridiculously hot and they're going to turn into what Sevilla is right now in La Liga. And we are just going to cash fade after fade after fade against them. And guess what? I might not have any money by the time that day comes, but it's going to be a very satisfying day, but I, I have to stay away. I can't do it with Marseille. Uh, did he anything for you in legal? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this match. I, I think that uh, BJ's right that like both teams are probably a little overvalued. Uh, I still make Monaco about even with Marseille. I think that there's not a ton of difference between these two teams. I bet uh, Monaco to finish second in this league after PSG. They're not too far off. I don't think they're going to get there because Lens looks like just an absolute wagon this year. Strasbourg uh, but- can overtake all of them. Yeah, Strasbourg is charging up the table. The they are now. up to sixteen. Uh, they're going to avoid the four relegation places yeah. uh, since Ligon's going to eighteen next year. So there'll be one less French match for everybody every weekend. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, from a from a from a betting point of view, I would need a, a flat plus a half to bet Monaco here. Otherwise, I'm really not that interested. Like you mentioned, you know they've run really good, uh, but this Marseille defense too has run great. I mean, this whole last run that they've been on, they've conceded a goal here or there, but they have really been successful in, in shot stopping in a way that I don't think is going to continue, uh, you know, conceding, you know, two, 1.8 to Toulouse, 1.4 to Montpellier. Uh, yes, they had a couple good showings against Lorient and Troyes, but those are two of the worst attacks in the league. Like Monaco has the, the firepower. Like they're not a bad attacking team whatsoever. Uh, and they have, you know, between Embolo and Ben Yedder, like that's a really good partnership and they play off each other really well. I mean, Ben Yedder, very good in crossing and, and Embolo kind of, you know, ball carrying like they, that's a really effective unit it's why i like them coming into the season uh, the defense has not held up its end of the bargain but like i like this monaco team enough that if i got a flat half i'd play it all right bj take us out with uh another league uh, special yeah a team that's cost me a ton of money but i'm gonna go back to the well ren minus 105 on the road at lorient on friday lorient just sold their best two attackers Oatara, who's now at bournemouth and malfi looks like he's on his way to west ham both of those guys are around a 0.5 xg plus expected assist per 90 minutes which is basically the entire lorient attack and this lorient team they're 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 pretty high up the table but they have just been running ridiculously well i mean 
October 23rd is the last time that they actually won the expected goals battle. And they've actually played some decent competition as of late. They got pumped by Marseille coming out of the World Cup break. They drew with Monaco, but lost the expected goals battle. They beat Angers despite conceding over two expected goals. And this Ren team is a really, really good attack. They just beat PSG 1-0. They've created over one and a half expected goal in three of their last five matches. So I do project them at minus 128. So I think this is a really, really good fade spot for Lorient, who just lost their two best attackers. Uh, all right, that uh, does it for this part of Wonder Goal, but be sure to stick around so you can listen to our interview with Eric Winalda of the, or formerly of the U.S. men's national team. We talked more about Gio Reyna and that soap opera. We talked about the soap opera at the bottom of the Premier League, and we talked about Leeds United buying every American player known to man. So be sure to stick around for that. But for BJ Cunningham, Anthony DeBundo, and Michael Lee Buffin, we'll wish you best of luck with all your bets for now. All right, once again, we are... Happy to be joined by former U.S. men's national team star Eric Winalda. Talk about some of the non-betting stuff going on around the world of football, the beautiful game. Eric, let's start with uh, Wes McKenney. His move to Leeds looks imminent. I I guess the best question I want to ask is how should American soccer fans feel about I we I feel like we see every once in a while these these English Premier League teams start to like dip in double dip into American players and, and start to kind of galvanize the USMNT uh, fan base around them. So now they got Marsh, they got Aronson, they got Tyler Adams. What does that say, like kind of about the direction that Jesse Marsh has taken this club in? And how would you say that American soccer fans should feel? Because I, I mean, I think it's cool, but it, I mean, I'm not a Leeds fan. I'm, I'm an Everton fan. And I remember with like Brian, when Brian McBride and then Donovan and then Tim Howard and, uh, it was a point of pride, but at the same time, it's like, it is a little peculiar. Well, yeah, this feels like Fulham all over again, right? Because right, it's yeah. and, 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 and that gang. But um, a couple of things. I mean, you can blame this all on Harrison. Harrison was the first one to go to Leeds, came from MLS, uh, NYCFC, and convinced them that you could come from America and, and be a, a great contributor because he had a great year last year um, for, for the club. And... The, the realities of, of, of Tyler Adams in, in his inclusion in this team, Aronson was, was way overpriced in my opinion, 30, 30 million for that. Um, great that, that, that it's a big number, but it also brings some added pressure he wasn't ready for. And he's starting to, he's, his form is starting to falter a little bit. It does cause an issue, man. I mean, let's face it. This is American coach who's now bringing in a, another American player and an American coach with Chris Armas, as long as, uh, he can get the work permit. He will be the, and remember him, he, he, he was brought in by Ralph Reinick, who is also, Reinick was the guy that was a part of Red Bull that that is championed uh, Jesse Marsh in the first place. So it's all kind of connected. But um, all things being equal, the bottom line is, is this the best move for Weston McKinney? And the answer is probably no. Um, I don't know what will happen in the end of the day. We just saw, you know, a player get hijacked uh, who's all signed up to go to Everton and ended up at Tottenham. I mean, th- this is happening. This, these are these are odd times and crucial moments in the uh, the last six days of a, of a transfer window. Who knows what might end up happening? The offer is twenty eight uh, million. That's 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 what Leeds is saying that they're willing to pay for Weston McKinney, which is a good number. It's a fair number. And with with Juventus's problems right now, they actually have multiple players who are now being accused of falsely. Uh, registering what their salaries are. So they're looking at another investigation on top of the 15 points they just lost. So they're looking to get a, not jump ship, but get a guy's a couple of guys to, to walk the plank and try and get some money out of them. 28 is a fair offer. Juventus is asking for 35. So that's the only sticking point right now. Um, the bottom line is, is we're two or three days away from Arsenal saying, we'll take him. We'll give you 40. We lost Mudrick anyway. We were willing to give up 60, 70. And we lost them, so maybe we'll jump in, in into that. So this thing, this thing could take another turn. That's what people need to understand. Uh, the, the, the concerning part for me, and being a guy that played in Europe and got relegated, got I broke my leg and watched my team get relegated, which was horrible. But this would be a horrible story, guys, if three Americans are a part of a team that goes down. That's the only concern I have. I know you guys don't think that that's a realistic possibility, but this is football. Anything can happen. And I'm I'm concerned about that component of it. Jesse Marsh is a very 
man, he, he's, he's, a, he's a kind of manager. He's a friend. I played with him. We played together in Chicago. We talked not regularly anymore, but we used to. He's got great ideas. He turned down Everton for this. So you got to keep that in mind. Um, he's a guy that's not afraid to go for it. He's not afraid to, to walk right into that fire. So that's, that's, that's a pretty risky uh, scenario. And, and the risk reward of all of this is pretty clear. I think they stay in. I think Weston, uh, if they get it done in the next 24 to 48 hours, is, is going to be uh, playing for Leeds. If they don't, there's, there's going to be a couple of other, other places. Remember, he originally said no to Unai Emery at Aston Villa, but that when he said no, that was 12 points ago. It, it, Aston Villa is in a completely different scenario, and who knows what, what kind of pitch is coming uh, uh, Weston McKinney's agent's way after, after this really good run from Unai Emery's team. So uh, Aston Villa might be a destination. Arsenal still might be a destination, but Leeds is the forefront. What does the fit look like? I mean, they already have Rocca and Adams. Aronson fits into that midfield a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit crowded. Is he getting, like, do you see him getting first team minutes? How regularly? He's, you know, yeah, I, think I, that's do. the question. I don't think they don't like Rocca. I mean, you, you watch his mannerisms, especially when he comes off the bench. Uh, he's a little volatile. He's, 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 he does give the ball away a lot. Watch him in 60, 70, 80 minute mark. He has to get subbed because he's still making, he's try, still trying to make the same pass and they're reading it. These are the kind of principles that, that Jesse Marsh is going to get angry about. But the good thing about Jesse, to answer, I mean, to about Weston, to answer your question, is he's been playing wingback recently for um, for Juventus. And and, and show, he's showing me something I didn't know he had in his toolbox, is that's to get to the line at speed and hit somebody in the eyebrow. That That's something I didn't know that he had uh, the capability of doing. So the versatility of, of Weston McKinney might be another pitch point. You know, what's an, Gio Reyna obviously too has been on fire. You know, coming out of the World Cup break, two game-winning goals against Augsburg, and then today against Mines. Obviously, he is one of the United States' best talents that we have, and obviously, you know, the whole saga has gone on and everything like that. But what I'm more interested in is that is Gio going to stay at Dortmund potentially long term, and if he does potentially go somewhere, and this is kind of a two-part question because now with Pulisic looking like he's not going to get very much minutes for Chelsea. Is there a possibility that Leeds just turns into Team USA and they just bring all the Americans over and see if we can win the Premier League that way? It's contingent on one thing. It's Jesse Morris keeps his job. I mean, yeah. there's a lot to learn for Jesse in, in this realm. I watched him really struggle with some of the cultural differences um, that exist in Germany because he he, he missed the mark a bunch of times on, on, on that deal. And there was a couple of them where I, I, you know, I, I sent a message over to him. Don't do that. Don't do that. Germans can't. And there's a couple of things like that, um, uh, that I would, I would say exists in, in, in England as well. I mean, look, Pulisic is probably going to, to AC Milan. I, I think that that's, that's one piece of it. Going back to Gio though, how do you think this all started? They had a huge deal on the table for him to move to a massive club. And when he didn't play, uh, it, that deal was off. Now you started this conversation, unfortunately, with obviously he's one of the best players in our country. <laughs> well, it's not that obvious to Greg Berhalter who wants him to play a system who chose a guy in Tim Weah over him multiple times who's now playing left back for his club in France. Let's just think about that for a second. I mean, the reality is, is that it, maybe we had better players and Tim Weah was our left back and Weston McKinney was our right back because I haven't been impressed with Dest at all. And we could have seen a very different midfield and a very different forward line. These are all choices that Greg Berhalter made, but they certainly dictated the conversation when it came to uh, Gio Reyna's next destination. It was a big one. I do know that for a fact. And when it didn't happen, that's where all this disappointment is coming from. He was, he was, he was going to make a big move. It was going to be 70, 80 million. And it just didn't happen. Now his response to that, and the you know the two fingers in the ears and the Memphis Depay, that's a direct shot at Greg Berhalter for saying we don't have a Memphis Depay right now scoring goals uh, in the Champions League. And that is, if you didn't know, Memphis Depay's signature celebration that I, I can't hear you. Um, all of this is is a mess. I mean, what happened is terrible, and it's and it's it's obscene and ludicrous and, and, and really amateur, but you know, it's really unfortunate that Gio's in, 
in the middle of that. The one thing I would add is, how about that for a response? Are you kidding me? To come into those scenarios on all, everybody, everybody has had something to say about this. I read an article this morning in the LA Times from a guy named Kevin Baxter. Sorry, Kevin, you know nothing about football or sports. Don't ever do that again. You're embarrassing yourself. But there's people taking shots at this kid left and right. And you have Jude Bellingham uh, texting out, you know, love for number seven. Um, this more than anything has proven that, that yes, Gio Reyna could handle it. Yes, he had every right to be pissed off that he wasn't in the team. Yes, Greg Berhalter got it wrong and he should have never lied about the, the status of the player in the first place. Uh, and, and it just illuminates the fact that we had a manager who could not handle um, a player of his caliber and a player of his ego. And here's the last part to that. Don't we want guys to have a big ego? What do we want everybody to just, just say, yes, sir, and go out there and be a robot? No, that's why he's a good player. That's why he's flourishing in Germany is because they let him play. And by the way, they also explained to him before the game, you're not going to start today, and here's why. That It's pretty simple, guys. It's not, you're not, you're not in my plans, so just behave. Or, okay, here's what we're going to do. I think this is a really good game for you. Come in at the end, get us a goal. There's a big difference between those two conversations. And there's a, a respect issue that, that, that certainly does no, that no longer exists when we're talking about uh, Greg Berhalter. So I am so just blown away by his response and his ability to, to come up big for his club in two very crucial moments. Those are four points that, that, that they needed. They were vital, vital. I mean, Freiburg has dropped from two to two to six and Dortmund has passed them now. And now, now it's time to beat Leverkusen and, and be real again. And they're not in that position without a 20 year old kid that America doesn't value. So I, I, I think that at some point his play at, at Dortmund will dictate an $80 million transfer somewhere. Uh, and that'll be right along the lines of Jaden Sancho, Dembele, Erling Haaland, and everybody else that's come out of uh, uh, Dortmund over the last couple of years, because they do the business of football better than anybody. All right. Uh, let's shift gears from that soap opera to a team that probably does the business of football worse than anybody at the moment. That's Everton. And we'll look at uh, the relegation battle right now in the premier league. Bournemouth uh, at Bet365, our wonderful sponsors, are minus 334 favorites to go down. But Everton and Southampton are both odds on, minus 163 each. And then Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Leicester, and Leeds all between plus 240 and plus 350. My question is surrounding Everton. Uh, I hate Everton. I'm an Everton fan, but I hate them. And um, when when a club is like this, like, I, you know, I don't know how much experience you talked about going down uh, when you were in Germany, but... When a club is circling the drain like this, and it's just an absolute, you know, it, it, I think some, Andy Hunter and the Guardian called it a civil war, and I think that's pretty apt. As a player, like, what do you do? Like, like how can you? How can you? It, it is, it's one thing to say drown out the noise, but it seems impossible when it gets like this. Well, look, I, I managed a team here in Las Vegas, and I had a horrible owner, and and he and our. The, the, my idea of the, the way that football club should be read, run was very different than his. And there was just a constant uh, bashing of, of heads when it came to that stuff. And then the manager, the reason why Frank, it, you know, before he was, was let go, was so beloved is because he protected his players from that. And then he eventually had one row with one guy because it, it, and it got out of control. And then that was the, the reasoning behind uh, letting him go. The one thing that has stayed consistent, though, guys, it, it, whether it's Rafa Benitez, whether it's Ancelotti, uh, you can all go all the way back to Silva or, or even Mart Martinez. I mean, it's it has been the consistent component of every time this team starts to figure itself out in the post Moyes era, uh, they, it, they just they just they just can't communicate, and that's a reflection of ownership. That's a reflection of hiring the wrong people who manage the right people sometimes. So uh, we're seeing this right now with Levy and, at, uh, at Tottenham. Tottenham has got a problem. And as long as Levy is there, they're going to continue to have a problem because they just can't get over themselves. Everton's has a similar issue. They are circling the drain. Um, I do think they go down. And, and the main reason is because and if they make a couple of moves, 
um, and, and they try to, to cash in, they're going to need some really smart people to get some undervalued players who are, who are hungry uh, to keep them in. But that, that usually doesn't work. And, and you can't put all your, 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 your money into one, one guy. So uh, it just looks bad. But this is on the management more than anything else. I, I feel bad for Frank because that's, that's two shots. Uh, kind of thrown out of Chelsea and now thrown out of Everton. And uh, I, don't, I really don't think in this occasion this was his fault. That kind of transitions to the to the question I had, which was, you know, we saw Gerard get the job at Villa, and that didn't go particularly well. And now they're playing better under Emery. We saw Lampard seem to improve Everton, but things have devolved around him. What about you know those two guys, you know, being high profile players like they were, hasn't translated that well to coaching? Do you think that's part of it? And and what about a player makes a good coach? You've done both. Like, what is your experience there, and, and what you look for? Well, I tell everybody I was a lousy player. That's why I'm a good coach, right? So the, 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 the truth of that is it's, it comes down to the person and your ability to communicate with people. That's all. I mean, if you don't have the, the ability to connect and communicate, and I, I, you know, I, I, was, I witnessed Steven Gerrard here as, as beautiful as a player he, as he was. God, he was god-awful in, in L.A. He was miserable. And it was terrible to to even to be around that situation. Of course, they were. Um, I mean, he has being a legend out of Liverpool and being what he was able to bring to that team as a leader on the field. Um, he's just not good at all at at uh, galvanizing a team or, or getting people on the on board. It's not even about tactics anymore. It's just about the reality of who he is uh, and his inability to calm people down. They all just stiffen up around him, and that's. That's a problem. That's a problem. I mean, you can say whatever you want about guys like Jose Mourinho or Ancelotti, but they have a way they, about them that allows the player to just to just go out there and, and, and do their thing. Um, and Ancelotti was a great player. He really was. Uh, Jose Mourinho sucked. I played against Klopp. He was terrible in, at Mainz. Um, he taught me how to eat a pretzel, but that's about all I got out of him. But he is a guy that you want to play for. You have to ask yourself that. And you know, some guys have it and some guys don't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't always mean that if you're a great player, that equates to a great knowledge uh, in the in in a managerial role. It doesn't always work that way. Awesome. Well, Eric, uh, thank you again for your time tonight and your insight. I got a 14 year old man. My son turned 14. He's uh, it's 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 really cool. He's he's good. He's good. I I I'm I'm, I'm I keep running into this whole Reina problem though. Everybody just keeps making jokes about it because. <laughs> wondering what kind of soccer dad I am. So I've, I've got, uh, I stay out of it. I let him do his thing, but this is, it's his birthday. I'm going to go buy him a steak and see if we can put some more hair on the, I was going to say chest, but it's probably pretty much his armpits. So. <laughs> well, enjoy that. And uh, thanks for, for joining us uh, here on Wonderful, the uh, soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. You got it, guys. Thanks. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.